0: Hey y'all, welcome back to healthy and then happy where anything goes, but I mainly talk about the importance of prioritizing your overall health, nutrition, and training in order to live your happiest life every day. Today's episode is going to be talking about five fitness myths that might be destroying your progress in the gym or maybe doing more harm than good. A lot of these are things that have been popular discussions or ideas that have been brought into the fitness space in the past. A lot of them are believed to be true or common knowledge and some people um, subconsciously do these things even if they don't realize it. I'll go ahead and jump into my first point which is limiting a macro group out of your diet. So mainly talking about carbs and fats. A lot of fad diets contain restrictions of macronutrients and it usually is carbs and fats. And I just do not agree with the concept of cutting out a macronutrient from your diet because they all have their place in regulating things in your body. Obviously, there are a few exceptions for someone who maybe is pre-diabetic. There's a lot of research that shows one of the best ways to tackle that is by limiting your carbs to like 20 to 50 grams of carbs a day. And basically entering a ketogenic state. But I, I kinda wanna discuss how just the typical person with typical fitness goals should be eating in somewhere the range of these are these are obviously rough ranges. There's so many studies that provide different macronutrient ranges, but a typical range of around 20-30% to 30% of your calories should come from fat, 30%-ish should come from protein, and 40-50% to 50% should come from carbs. And those ranges can adjust and change based on your goals. They don't have to be exact, obviously, if you've got weight loss, weight gain, muscle building, strength goals, you know, different things like that. Adjust your macronutrient ranges. And it's going to vary person to person, male to female, but those are pretty typical ranges. So now kind of diving into why you shouldn't limit a macro group and just give you guys some knowledge about carbs and fats and the importance of them and why you shouldn't just entirely ever cut them out of your diet. I know in keto diets, pretty typical to cut down carbs and limit them very, very much. Um, And then obviously, I know that there are low fat diets. And I think the term fat has a lot of people scared, people who have little to no knowledge about nutrition are terrified to eat fats because they think it just makes them fat. It's just, you know, when you don't have knowledge of a situation and you relate those two words to each other, it can be scary, I guess. Um, but I'll start with carbs. So first, just a little uh, basic bio 101 here. Macros, when I when I talk about macros, meaning carbs, fats, and protein, um, I'm talking about macromolecules. So Macromolecules are made up of polymers, which are a chain of monomers. You guys might remember this stuff from high school bio or bio 101 in college. I don't know. The monomers of carbs are called monosaccharides, which three of the most common simple sugar monosaccharides are glucose, fructose, and galactose. Our bodies can only use glucose as a form of energy, actually. So, um, galactose is milk. So, like if you're drinking milk, for example. You can still use that as energy, but that is galactose and it has to get processed in the liver where it then gets converted into glucose. And so you can use simple sugars and as energy, but your body only directly uses glucose as energy. Excess glucose is stored in your body as glycogen and can then be used later for energy as well. Of all the macronutrients, carbs are metabolized the fastest, which is why they're super important for someone who works out and is super active throughout the day. Protein is somewhere in the middle and fats are digest or uh, metabolized the slowest. We can also kind of dive into complex versus simple carbs. So simple carbs are things like soda and candy, you know, from sucrose. Bread that is made from bleached flour is also a simple carb Um, and then complex carbs are things like fruits and veggies and 100% whole wheat bread and obviously if you're looking at a bread label you need to make sure it is 100% whole wheat bread or else you're not getting those benefits from it being a complex carbs and it's likely a simple carb. The complex carbs are far more nutrient dense than simple carbs, Um, but you don't have to completely cut simple carbs out of your diet and just avoid them altogether. But I would recommend that if you're going to have simple carbs, have them pre or intro workout because whenever you have a simple carbs, it can trigger the insulin response, which helps our cells use that glucose for energy immediately. And you actually want to avoid high fat and high protein meals right before a workout. I I know I'm talking about mostly carbs here, but whenever we're talking pre-workout meals, that's when you really want to time your meals and pay attention to getting carbs in. And if you're going to have simple carbs in your diet, that's a great time to have them is right before a workout because of that spike in the insulin response. That's also um, why you see people eating things like Rice Krispie treats or candy or a Pop-Tart before their workout. Um, Even like the most fit people, you're like, why are they eating candy all the time? They probably aren't. They're just showing you like they're eating Rice Krispie before the gym or some candy before the gym or intro workout or something like that. Also, don't negate the value of having complex carbs before a workout as well my actual favorite pre-workout snack is an apple and that is a complex carb and i feel great whenever i just have some fruit right before the gym it has a lot more nutritious value to it as well so now that we've kind of covered carbs i mean i could i could dive a lot deeper into the importance of carbs but i wanted to kind of scrape the surface on the macronutrients and why you you know like don't want to cut them out and the importance of them um so i'll move on to also fats so fats are also a macromolecule, so they're one of the macronutrients. So you've got, like I mentioned, carbs, fats, proteins. Fats are very energy-dense. They contain nine calories per gram of fat, whereas carbs and protein are four calories per gram of carbs or per gram of protein. A lot of the vitamins that you need in your diet can't actually be used by the body without getting enough fat in your diet. So vitamin A, D, E, and K, they work to repair your cells and your tissues. And without fats, these vitamins cannot do their job and you will not recover properly from the gym or, you know, even if it's not just as far as like lifting weights, just day-to-day recovery and repair of cells in your tissues depend heavily on these vitamins that depend heavily on fats. I spent my whole last episode talking about hormones and nutrient deficiencies. So y'all should understand the importance of those by now and how much they can affect you and affect your body and affect your day to day. I went on and on and on about that and the importance of hormone balances, nutrient deficiencies and stuff, or combating nutrient deficiencies. So when I say that fats are the precursors for hormone production, I don't even think I have to really explain how important and vital that is if you listen to my last podcast episode. But yes, fats are even more important actually for women because we have an extreme need to regulate our reproductive hormones. So for women, cutting fats can affect your hormones a lot. Sometimes I like to use bodybuilders as the example for the extreme case of changes in macronutrients. So I'll say like a lot of bodybuilding coaches will have their clients cutting fats very, very, very little, they're very low on their fats. And when it comes down to that, your male bodybuilder is going to typically have lower fat than the woman because when a woman's fat intake gets so low, their hormones are no longer regulated and women are just impacted so much more heavily from an imbalance in our hormones and especially our reproductive hormones. You know, a lot of people will actually like lose their periods whenever their body fat percentage gets to a certain level of being too low. And then you can also experience bad hormone imbalances whenever you're not getting enough fat in your diet, which, like I said, I only use bodybuilding as an example because it is that extreme case where sometimes getting close to a show, their macros are so low and sometimes fat can be cut extremely low. I'm not the super expert on bodybuilders and what their macros look like close to a show. But like I said, I just like to use it as the extreme case because the typical day to day person shouldn't be limiting their nutrition quite so much. And I think any bodybuilder would also tell you that. And I, I just talked about carbs on the molecular level, so I also wanted to talk about fat on the molecular level. So the monomers, like I mentioned, the monomers of carbs and stuff, the monomers of fats are fatty acids. So they are long chains of hydrocarbons and the polymers of fats are triglycerides. So whenever we're looking at different types of fatty acids, we have saturated fats, which these are solid at room temperature. These are your animal fats, stuff that comes from red meat, butter. Your saturated fats should be limited, but there are studies that have come out. I mean, I feel like in the past it used to be saturated fats are bad. Saturated fats are so bad, but saturated fats are... A lot better than trans fats. Trans fats are bad, 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 bad fats. You need to be limiting those as much as possible. They don't provide much value to you and definitely cause more harm than good. Trans fats come from when you heat a typically saturated fat. So like heating vegetable oil to make margarine. That is a trans fat. So it's also things like chips and cake and stuff like that. Trans fats are difficult for the body to metabolize and they're often correlated with high cholesterol and heart disease and things like that so saturated fats not necessarily bad but all of your fat in your diet should not come from saturated fats and then we have unsaturated fats which are liquids at room temperature these are things like olive oil and canola oil Um, but you also can break down your unsaturated fats into two groups with your polyunsaturated fats and your monounsaturated fats polyunsaturated fats being omega-3s and omega-6s your omega-3s are dha epa DHA and EPA come from fatty fish, like sardines, mackerel, salmon. Omega-3s are also things like your alpha-linolenic acid, which is in soybeans and walnuts. Um, And then back to the DHA EPA stuff. Y'all hear me? Y'all have probably heard me say it on my Instagram platforms a million times. You need to be taking an omega-3 fish oil supplement that has DHA and EPAs. If you do not get enough fatty fish in your diet, this is super, super important. EPAs and DHAs... And omega-3s in general are good at raising the good cholesterol in your body, which is your HDL levels, rather than your LDL levels, which are raised by trans fats. And that's a good way to maintain good cholesterol levels and also prevent heart diseases. So that's something to make note of. And then your omega-6s that I mentioned is like corn oil and sunflower oil. The research that I have found on it, for the most part, it is conclusive that omega-3s, you need to be getting more omega-3s than omega-6s in your diet. Um, I mentioned polyunsaturated fats and monounsaturated fats. Your omega-3s, omega-6s are the polyunsaturated fats. And your monounsaturated fats are your omega-9s, olive oil, avocados, peanuts, almonds. Omega-9s are also things that are important to have in your diet. These also are part of that process of raising your good cholesterol, your HDL, and lowering your LDL levels in your body. So as far as fats go, you need to be having things like fatty fish avocados, peanuts, almonds, olive oil, eggs, focusing on getting your omega-3s with DHA and EPA, also getting some of those omega-9s in your diet, limiting your saturated fats but eliminating trans fats. So all that being said, that was kind of a lot of information about fats. A lot of people just want to know what should my macro ratios be, but I kind of wanted to get, like I said, down to the molecular level and explain the good and the bad of fats and carbs. Another thing to note is that people with high cholesterol need to be paying close attention to the types of fats that they're intaking. But for the most part, people who really just kind of care about the general overview of your macro ratios, fats are super important for a functioning metabolism and to have balanced hormones. So to just kind of wrap up point one in not limiting or eliminating a macronutrient from your diet carbs and fats both have their place carbs are needed for quick energy usage in the body type of carbs that you're intaking are important know the difference between simple and complex carbs it's important to know how your body uses it for energy and then fats have a very important role in helping your body utilize the vitamins that it needs for recovery and hormone regulation as well so now on to the next point This is probably not one of the most important ones, but I think it's something that's notable because I think it's pretty common for people to be scared of salt. The reason people have this fear of salt is because of the sodium content in it. Too much sodium can lead to high blood pressure, heart disease, strokes, etc. You know, list goes on. But it's important to note, first of all, salt and sodium are not the same thing. Yes, salt has sodium. Salt is made up of sodium. NA on the periodic table and chloride, CL. So it's around 40% sodium in salt. I believe the recommended amounts of sodium is a minimum of 1500 milligrams of sodium a day and a maximum of about 2300 milligrams of sodium per day. And there are a lot of studies out there that look at how high sodium diets can impact people and cause a greater risk of heart disease. And these Studies have been pushed out a lot, and it has created a lot of fear around sodium. So there's so many people, they won't eat certain things because they look at it, that's a lot of sodium, that has sodium in it, this, that, that. Totally understandable, a lot of doctors' recommendations for people at high risk of disease and things like that are recommended to limit and watch their sodium intake. Something that's important to note though is that most people's sodium intake is coming from processed foods and eating out at restaurants and not knowing the sodium content in their foods rather than just coming from salt. So a lot of people are you know, terrified of the salt shaker, but that's not exactly where people who have a super high sodium diets necessarily coming from. It's typically the combined diet of maybe high salt, but also with lots of junk food. That's where um, those processed foods, that's where a lot of the sodium intake is coming from. I think what a lot of these people are leaving out in some of these studies is how important it actually is to have sufficient sodium in your diet. There actually is a study, and I'll link it like I typically do when I reference studies, but it finds that people who are eating less than the recommended sodium amount have a 19% higher risk of dangerous heart-related events. That study surveyed 28,000 patients of heart disease that were deemed high risk, and it found that consuming between 4 to 6 grams of sodium actually presented as the lowest risk scenario. So not only was a higher than recommended sodium intake not as bad for high-risk heart disease patients, but restricting sodium was found to be detrimental. It was also proven that oftentimes in those studies that were showing how awful it is to have high sodium intake, in those studies they were being administered 150 times the regular human equivalent dose of sodium per day. I think there's a lot of fear-mongering around sodium. This isn't me saying go eat as much sodium as you want. It's not even bad for you at all, but um, what I'm saying is if you're eating a Balanced nutrient dense diet with a lot of whole foods in your diet. You're not eating a ton of processed foods. Salt is not your enemy. And sodium is actually really important for us to have in our diet. It's a very essential mineral for us to have. A lot of athletes actually lose more sodium amounts throughout the day, like through their activity, because they're sweating it out. And we need proper sodium amounts to have proper fluid balances in our body. It also makes sure that we have normal muscle, nerve, and cellular functions. Sodium is actually extremely important. If you're exercising anywhere from around 60 to 90 minutes a day and you're sweating at all, your sodium is lost through your sweat, and it's actually very beneficial to have some type of an isotonic workout drink, so like electrolytes, Gatorade, having ingredients in those foods that contain sodium post-workout so that you can recover better. The third myth that I want to talk about is that you can spot reduce fat. I think that we as a fitness community have debunked this one for a while it's always talked about by a lot of creators you cannot spot reduce fat don't listen to anyone that tells you that I, I still get asked that question sometimes by people who mainly aren't really a part of the fitness space on social media maybe by like I've been asked that by relatives before who know that I'm a personal trainer and I work out and train a lot um, they've asked, well, how do I lose my belly fat? And, you know, the truth is that I think for so long people would use the headline on magazines of use these five tips to to shrink your waist size. And that, that is forever going to be just untrue. You, can, you cannot spot reduce fat, even when it comes down to things like having high cortisol that can cause you to hold on to fat in certain places more. That's still genetic. The places where you're going to hold on to fat more While it is pretty common for people with high cortisol to hold fat around their midsection, it is not necessarily just 100% true that every person with high cortisol is going to get fat in their midsection. And you cannot lose fat in your midsection just by fixing your cortisol levels, you know. So overall, being in a calorie deficit, eating less than what you're currently eating if you want to get rid of some fat. Um, less than your maintenance calories or exercising more to put you in a deficit. That's the only way that you're going to lose weight or that you're going to lose fat. And that fat is not going to just come out of your stomach because you did 25 crunches that morning. Um, There's no ab workout that's going to shrink your waist size. Losing weight is going to shrink your waist size. I'm not even going to go too in depth in that topic because I think it just goes without any necessary explanation. You cannot lose fat in one certain place by doing any certain exercise. So that is the third fitness myth that may be destroying your progress is hyperfixating on one certain body goal of, for example, losing fat in your midsection and going and looking up workouts that, oh, this workout will help you lose body fat rather than just focusing on what you really need to do in order to reach a weight loss goal, which is make sure that you're in a calorie deficit, whether that be by eating less or adding in workouts to your day that put you in a calorie deficit by by having more energy expenditure in your day. The fourth thing that I want to mention is this no pain, no gain mentality. So when I say that, I'm talking about the people who feel like if you're not sore after your workout, that you did not have an effective workout, the people who think that you have to spend two, three hours in the gym every time to be having an effective workout, and the people who think that you have to go to failure on every single exercise in order to be making progress. The reality is if you're feeling sore after every single workout, if say you've been on the same workout split for multiple weeks and you're still feeling sore after every single workout, you are not recovering properly. Your muscles shouldn't be feeling that much strain after your workouts. Um this could honestly mean that you have an injury or a muscle tissue is torn or something like that. Um there are definitely going to be times whenever you feel sore after a workout after maybe you haven't trained your legs in a few weeks and you go in and you train legs, you're definitely going to be sore. Or if you start incorporating a new workout into your routine that you haven't typically been doing because it's targeting a different muscle group, that muscle Group may be sore after that workout, but you shouldn't be feeling sore after every workout. And the lack of soreness does not mean lack of an effective workout. Truthfully, it's a good sign if you're not getting sore after every workout. It means that your body is adapting and learning to recover to that stimulus a lot better. You're probably fueling your body properly with proper nutrition, and you're probably getting enough sleep. And overall, you're just recovering a lot better. It's a good sign, not a bad sign. And I do not like that myth that if you're not pushing yourself to complete failure, feeling sore after every day in the gym, then you are not progressing properly. I also want to say that I think this idea of pushing yourself to failure on every workout comes a lot from seeing the bodybuilders that you see their personalities on social media of you've got to push yourself to or pass failure every single rep. And I think maybe this does manifest itself in having different goals. For a powerlifter, that's not exactly um, a type of training that needs to be implemented for me to reach my goal it actually is pretty negative towards my progress to be sore every workout because my goal overall is to be able to get stronger and hit heavy singles and things like that not fatigue my muscles beyond exhaustion in order to make my muscles larger there are actually a lot of studies to back up the benefits of training within around three reps to failure at around 80 percent rather than training to failure on every lift. Um, It actually says that six to seven reps at 80% of your one rep max led to a similar degree of improvement compared to those who did 12 to 13 reps to failure at 80% of their one rep max over an eight-week training period. So if you can get similar results with fewer reps, why wouldn't you? There are also studies that show that training to failure heavily impacts your peripheral fatigue, which is related to your muscle fibers and the neurons, and whenever you're experiencing high peripheral fatigue, it will actually reduce the amount of intensity and endurance that your muscle fibers can produce and essentially handicap you, to simply put. And y'all know I love to relate things to their effects on hormones, so there's also a study that leaving some reps in reserve and not going to failure increases the concentrations of anabolic hormones, so your total testosterone, while decreasing the concentrations of catabolic hormones, such as cortisol and last but not least my fifth topic that I want to discuss for fitness myths that may be destroying or affecting your progress the idea that weights make you bulky coming from a girl like lifting weights makes you bulky I feel like people hear that a lot people have started to push the fact that lifting weights doesn't make you bulky don't tell girls that it scares them away from lifting and I want to tell you all this straight up like Honest truth is that lifting weights can make you bulky, but it doesn't have to make you bulky. I think I've heard both sides of the argument. It makes you bulky or it doesn't make you bulky. Y'all, come on. Let's put our thinking caps on here. The exercises that you do are going to build the muscles that you're targeting with those exercises. No, you cannot spot reduce fat. Yes, you can spot your muscles and you can build your muscles based on specific exercises. I do not focus much on building certain muscles in my body because I am a power lifter, So my my primary goal is overall strength gains. I I target muscle groups that are important complementary muscles to increasing my lifts and squat, bench and deadlift. So whether or not I get bulky and I put on a lot of mass on my body from the lifts and the exercise that I do, I do not care. I do love my body. I'm proud of my body. I worked hard for it. But my goal overall is strength. So if you look at someone like me and you say, I don't want to look like her. She's too bulky. Okay, well, first of all, I don't care. My goal isn't to look bulky or to not look bulky. My, bo- my goal is to be strong. If you don't want to look like me, first of all, you're never going to look like me. Again, let's use our thinking caps. No one person is going to. I like to use the comparison of like, if you watch a makeup tutorial and you did your makeup using the exact same products, the exact same way as someone else, you are still not going to look like them. It's the same way with fitness. If you followed my exact training protocol, you are not going to look like me just because you did that. But if you don't want bulky arms, you don't want big shoulders and big arms, don't train them. Like, if you like lifting weights in general isn't going to make your arms big. Go train legs, change your split, do legs three times a week, train upper body once if you if you're really concerned about having a bulky upper body. And I mean, my best advice for overall fitness and overall nutrition and health and well being is you should train all your body parts. I think that um, for the general person, I think a good push pull leg split is great. I think that targets all the muscle groups in your body. But if your goal is like, I want to lift weights, I want to be in the gym four or five days a week, but I don't want to get a bulky upper body, do one upper body day and do leg days the rest of it or a core day, incorporate some hit workouts and cardio. You don't have to just do what you see on the internet. And because you see some girl who trains upper body three times a week, and you don't like that she has a big upper body, don't just say, I'm not going to lift weights. I'm going to do Pilates because I don't want to get bulky. Y'all, It's not a black and white issue. It's not lifting weights makes you bulky or lifting weights doesn't make you bulky. It's you train and you do workouts that are tailored to what you want to build on your body. And if it's strength, then you don't have to stress about the types of muscle groups that you're working on building up. But if you have some type of aesthetic goal, if you want big legs, train your legs. If you want big arms, train your arms. If you don't want a bulky upper body, don't spam lateral raises for hours and then say, I just feel like my upper body's getting too big. Well, maybe because you just did 10 drop sets on lateral raises and you're... Sorry, I digress. But yes, you can literally build the body that you want in the gym. You can literally sculpt it. I mean, I hear people say, you know, it's not that I don't want to put muscles on my arms. I just don't want them to be big and bulky. So how can I lose fat in my arms and still have like shredded arms, like in bicep muscles and shoulders like you and like, okay, y'all, you've got to build muscle to have muscle definition and then... To accomplish what so many people want in this quote toned look, I want like I want to have muscles, but I want to be lean. I want them to show. I want to be toned. You've got to have muscle for it to show, and then you've got to lean out. So you've got to put on some muscle, you've got to have some type of a foundation, and then put yourself in a calorie deficit to drop the excess fat on top. It's pretty simple. You can, like I said, you can quite literally build the body that you want. I understand that it takes knowledge to get there, but. I, truthfully, I think I get frustrated on this topic because to me, it's just such common sense. And again, this advice mostly goes for girls because I don't see the stuff coming from guys, but I, I, there is such a debate on from girls of like, oh, I think I'm just going to go do cycling classes. I don't want muscular arms. You can still go and lift weights, hit exercises. You can still train upper bodies without like building massive arms. I mean, the, the way you, that you train changes things, you know, but I digress. That is just something, a pet peeve of mine. Is this debate between does lifting make you bulky or does lifting not make you bulky? Neither one is correct because lifting can make you bulky. Lifting weights for the majority of people is literally to put mass on their bodies. So it, wouldn't you consider that bulky? Like, I, d- I don't understand. It's the same thing I don't like about saying I want to be toned. Like, what What do you mean? Like, I know, I know what people mean when they say that is they want... Um, like a base of muscle mass and then they want to lean out around it and then that's what they consider like quote toned but it's just like you don't there's not just like one path to get toned typically it's the process of like I sorry I just mentioned this but like putting on some muscle mass and then leaning out afterwards so anyway 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 Thank y'all for listening to this episode. I hope that y'all have had a great week and y'all have a great weekend. I had a great time putting this episode together. I hope y'all enjoy it. Next week, my episode will probably be pretty short. I'll probably do do some type of topic about my powerlifting meet because I am today officially. Of course, I'm recording this on Monday. I'm officially 11 days out from nationals, and when I record this on or whenever I post this on Thursday, I will be eight days out from nationals. So the next week's episode is going to be posted when I am one day out from nationals. Like I will be weighing in when this gets posted. So not this, but the next episode gets posted. So I'm slowly, not slowly, I am quickly approaching to that deadline. I'm so excited for my meet and I cannot wait to come on and talk about it and do like a recap of the meet. And I also want to thank you guys so much for all the support leading up to it. I feel like I've had just the best support system during this prep and y'all have been so encouraging to me and I'm just honestly so thankful for it I'm also so thankful for like all the support and um, the feedback of this podcast it has meant the world to me y'all don't even understand every time one of y'all shares it on your story and posts that you're listening to it it literally just I'm my heart is so filled I'm having so much fun doing this and I'm so glad that y'all have supported me in this platform I love y'all so much and I will talk to y'all next week